All right. Good morning, Orangewood. Great worship. When I get to heaven, I'll be able to sing like these guys. Not until then, but when I get there, I want to be on the worship team. Uh, thank you so much for leading us into the presence of God. And uh, I, I hope you were all listening closely to uh, Chuck's, Pastor Chuck's uh, explanation of infant baptism. How many of you were listening closely to it? Good. The rest of you? Come on, next time, all right? That was one of the best explanations of infant baptism, of child baptism I've ever heard of, covenant baptism. It was so well put, so simply put. And uh, so if you have any questions, talk to Pastor Chuck more about that, because that is one of the challenging parts of being who we are as Presbyterians. But what a wonderful baptism. Thank you for being here and for being a part of this today. Well, today, we continue our series, our Remain series. We're going to talk about Remain and retell. Remain and retell. You have amazing things to say to other people about what Jesus Christ has done for you. So as we remain in Christ, we get to retell it. But before we talk about that, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer, and uh, let's talk to the one who has redeemed us. Let's pray. Our great God, what a joy to be able to come into your presence this morning. What a what a powerful thing to be able to say together, to sing together. How can it be? How can it be that you could love us the way you love us, knowing all that you know about us? How, how can it be that you could redeem us? We were breathing, but we weren't alive, Lord. We, we were in another world. Uh, you are worthy of the praise of a thousand tongues, 10,000 tongues, more than we could ever imagine for what you have done for us. And so as we come into your presence today, as we think about the gospel and what it means for us as individuals and as a church family, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. Help us remember, help us remember our own story, what you've done in our lives. Lord, we, we thank you and we do, we have confessed, but we thank you that we can always run to you when we sin, that you will always forgive us based on the work of Christ. Thank you that you love this family, this church family, and that you love us as individuals. And so right now, Father, we come into your presence. We ask that you would uh, be with our students as they get ready to gear up for school. Uh, Orangewood School, our Christian schools in the community that have been so effective, our public schools, Lord, our homeschooling. Lord, we, we lift up all of those opportunities of educating our young, and we pray that you would be with our parents particularly at point in developing that next generation. So we pray that you would powerfully raise up these young ones to know you, to love you, and to experience your glory and spread it around. And so now as we come into your presence, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and that you would use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For today, we have come now to focus upon Jesus as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the story, maybe you heard of the little boy that was sitting at the table, uh, at a kitchen table in Southern California, Los Angeles, and all of a sudden an earthquake took place, and he cries out to his mother, Mommy, what did I do now? <laughs> um, dishes were crashing, uh, furniture sliding, what do I do now? You know, I like that story because it's, 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 it's interesting about how it talks about us. Some of us, as God's people, feel hyper responsible for everything. 
We feel guilty for everything. We're like that little boy. People are starving someplace. I must have caused it. Somebody said, what did I do? An earthquake, what did I do? And then there's others, maybe not here, others who are a little bit narcissistic and the world does, they think, revolve around them. And so there's some people with a hyper-responsible, I caused it. Other people, uh, narcissistic, the world really should revolve around me. But, but for most of us, one of the realities is that we absolutely do forget as God's people how much work has been done in us as Christians and how much God wants to do through us in the lives of other people. We do tend to underestimate how great the gospel is and how great the work of God has been in us. And so as we continue our series, Remain series, as we focus upon how as we remain close to Jesus Christ, as we stay close to what he's doing in our life, we, we, can, we, we can get a little glimpse of some of the things that he's done to develop us over the years. Your story is greater than you probably even know. And so in, in, in the text that we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 1, we have two major points. And as I read this text, I want you to look for those two points. The gospel's greatness for all and the gospel's greatness in you. And I want to unpack both of those points. But first, let's read the text of Scripture, great text of Scripture, Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of God our Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, instead of getting really nice with the Galatians, Paul jumps into some rebuke. Uh, this is unlike most of his letters. Here we go. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my, my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I. For the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. 
Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown in person to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. They were only hearing it said. Catch this, guys. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a great text of scripture this is. And I, I love this text uh, because it really does teach those two major points. The greatness of the gospel for all and the greatness of the gospel in us and through us as individual members of the body of Christ. Now, I got to say this as we get started. If somebody brought you here today to Orangewood, drug you kicking and screaming, maybe you said years ago, I'll come to church with you sometime if you will finally leave me alone. And you're here today. We're glad you're here. Uh, we, we know that if, if anybody is going to become a Christian, you've got to do your due diligence about what it means to be a Christian and to see if the gospel of Jesus Christ is really something for you. So we're glad you're here. This text might help you in the process of making a decision about Christ as we think about the greatness of the gospel for all. So let, let's, let's unpack this, this first point as we look at God's greatness for all in verses 1 through 10. Paul, Paul the apostle is an apostle, and an apostle is one sent out in the authority and power of somebody else. So when Paul starts this letter and he says that he's an apostle, he's telling us that he is not the savior. He's not putting himself up as a great person himself. He's saying, I represent the greatest person in the universe, Jesus Christ. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ coming in the authority of Jesus Christ. But catch this. He did have a power encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, right? Acts chapter 9 and 10 G Paul the Apostle saw the resurrected Christ. He had a power encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus won. Because Paul was on his way to, to violently arrest Christians and throw them in prison and deal with them. And he met Jesus, and Jesus won. That's probably more than all of us have uh, uh, ever. If you've seen the resurrected Lord, I'd love to talk to you. We'll write a book. We'll become famous. I haven't, but I believe in the resurrected Lord. Paul saw him experienced the power of the resurrected Christ. And so he comes in the authority of Christ and he presents the gospel to these people in Galatia. And Galatia represents just regions of what we call today Turkey. It's all of Turkey. Paul was the church planner in many of these churches. And, uh, as, and so he's writing to these churches that are newly established. And, um, and I love this because he's talking about the greatness of the gospel. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. What does it say? From this present evil age. We have been rescued. 
And the Apostle Paul is telling them that what Jesus Christ has done is absolutely rescued us from an incredibly difficult situation. What Jesus did for us is, is, is stunning. He fulfilled the law for us that we couldn't do, and that he took the curse and punishment for us. What was left to do for us? Nothing. Jesus, Jesus did provide the way perfectly to God the Father. He rescued us. When I was 13, I was a Boy Scout in Southern California. We went on a 50-mile cross-country trek over Mount San Jacinto uh, against the violation of all our Boy Scout rules. The Boy Scout rules are stay on the trail. And if you go off the trail, tell somebody you're going off the trail. We went off the trail and we didn't tell them. Our leader didn't tell them. I was just a kid and our leader messed up. And we went down on the other side and we got stuck in this ravine and we got, we got trapped. We kept lowering our packs down and we were stuck and we were, we were stuck. Now they knew we were out there somewhere, but they didn't know where. Frankly, we didn't know where we were. But when that helicopter started circling and when I saw that helicopter come in and a hand come out the window going, it's like, I was born again. <laughs> again, I mean, it was like, I was rescued. And sometimes I forget that, but when I think back on that, and I look back on that 13-year-old boy, I mean, man, I am so grateful. And, and, and what Paul is telling us is that Jesus did that for us. He rescued us from this present world for the world to come. Uh, in, in our in our ministry at Forge in Orlando, we have three sites. And in two of those sites, we have uh, two different of those sites. We have uh, two men who are paralyzed and cannot, cannot, cannot walk. They're in wheelchairs. In Matthew 9, there's a great story about a paralyzed man. Back then, uh, when you were paralyzed, you had to have somebody carry you on your back or more likely on a bed, right? And that's what they did in this account in Matthew 9. They carried this guy to Jesus uh, on a bed because he couldn't walk. Now, uh, one of the guys in, in, in one of our sites has one of those incredible motorized wheelchairs. And he, it could go faster than my truck, I want you to know. I pulled up to the light. He was there after this. He looked at me and I go, yeah, of course I'm going to let you cross, you know? And he put it into first and he went across. I couldn't believe the other guy downtown. He, he has to be, he has to be brought because he can't lift himself. He can't move himself. Back then they brought you on beds. And they came to Jesus, Matthew 9, you can read it, verses 1 through 8. They brought him on a stretcher. And it said, Jesus, seeing their faith, said, exact words, take heart, your, my son, your sins are forgiven. Did he get criticism for that? Of course. Jesus always got criticism. Your sins are forgiven. And so when they, they said, well, how can, who can forgive sins? And Jesus wanted to make it clear that he could forgive sins. So he said, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to, or to say rise and walk. And the point is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven for Jesus. Because this man was paralyzed and he couldn't rescue himself. He wants us to know in this account that just as Jesus could only be the one to raise this paralyzed guy, he is the only one who could forgive us of our sins. We have been rescued. And only Jesus could do it. And he's rescued us from this present evil 
age. Sin, sin is killing us eternally and it's killing us temporally. You ever try to put acid in your pool? Those of you who have pools, it's time to put acid in your pool, right? So I remember doing that the other day. Frankly, my wife does the chemicals most of the time. But this day she was gone. She said, would you put the acid in? Of course. So I go over and I, what do you do when you're putting acid in the pool? You hold your breath. You pour it in. You move away and grab the breath finally. There was still some acid in the air and I sucked that into my lungs. I lost 1% of my lung capacity that day, I think. It was terrible. Sin is an acid that is killing us. And if it weren't for Jesus, it would win. And, and so Jesus is rescuing us from this present evil age. It's what Mark Nix was saying last week when he says that we often feel like aliens and strangers because we are aliens and strangers in this world. Because this world is not our home. As the song goes, we are what? You know, we're passing through. He's going to come back. Our Lord is going to renew this thing. But we're aliens and strangers right now in this world. And so that's why Paul, in this early part of this text, is so astonished. He's absolutely gobsmacked when he looks at the Galatians and says, I, I cannot believe that you guys are leaving the gospel. And you're going back to a religion-based, self-oriented, self-salvation kind of thing. I can't believe you're doing it. You're turning the grace of God and you're going back to religion. Why in the world would you do that? Because it is the gospel that is great for all. Whom God is calling to himself. And it's important for us to remember as God's people today. That the gospel has been great for us. Remember when you were rescued? Do you remember that? Do you remember the time? Do you remember the story? Do you remember the circumstances? Do you, do you remember how it happened? The gospel is great because Jesus is great. He's accomplished what we could never do. And so if you're doing due diligence on the gospel, you're, you're here, not a Christian, wondering what we're about. We are not perfect people. These are great people, wonderful people. I love them. But None of us are perfect, so don't expect... Hey, Chris, by the way, Christians don't claim to be perfect. We never did. We claim to be very messy. But we found the one who's taking care of our most difficult problem, sin. And he's cleaning us up. And if you look around and you say, these people are kind of messy. You're right. I am too. I am too. But the reality is, I'm letting... Well, less messy than I used to be. Can you say that? Yeah, I think so. And so the first point that Paul brings up is that the gospel is great for all whom God is calling. And we need to remember our calling. Uh, I was listening uh, the, the other day to, you know, with this Jeffrey Epstein thing in the news uh, 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 that he committed suicide in the prison cell and he'd committed horrendous crimes. There was a, a talk show host interviewing this one lady who'd been abused and sex trafficked. And, and, and so this, this talk show host was saying, I, it seems to me that this was such a major your sin that, that happened to you and hurt you that it probably affects every day of your life. You know what she said? She that was great. She said, well, you know, since I became a Christian, 
The reality is that I've been able to deal with that and to move on into a productive life. I thought, yes, you go. Because that's what the gospel does for us. The gospel is great. The gospel really does unhinge us from those things that horrible people have done to us, as well as the things that we do to ourselves. I found that most of the problems I bring into my life, that come into my life, are because of me. We have found the enemy, and it is us. And yet God unhinges me from my own sins, too, and helps me grow Uh, and he will help you grow. And so uh, if you have come to that point where you need a savior, we'd love to talk to you afterwards if you're ready to find the one who can get your, the gospel is great for you. That's what we want to say. And it's great for us to remember our story. All right, the second major idea that Paul brings up here is not only the gospel's greatness for all whom the Lord is calling, but the gospel's greatness in us. And I want to hone this down and focus it upon those of us who have been following Jesus since the time of the Apostle Paul, for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, for those of us who maybe have forgotten what it means uh, to be rescued and what God has done in our life. This is so good. Uh, What Paul does is he begins to tell his story in verses 11 and following. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not from man. No, it's a God thing. And then in verse 13, he says, for you've heard of my former life in Judaism. Now this, Galatians was written 15 years after all of this happened to Paul. Paul had been a Christian, a solid Christ-following apostle for 15 years when he writes the Galatians this letter. And it's like it was yesterday. Which tells me that the Apostle Paul kept fresh in his mind and heart how he had been rescued by Jesus and how that rescue from Jesus shaped his everyday life. And I believe that's important for us to keep in mind because sometimes we forget. We forget that we were prodigals, right? Some of of us have forgotten how bad we were. Have you forgotten? And what happens is that we shift over to the other side. Prodigals then can become elder brothers, don't they? Have you ever had that? You wake up one day and you go, man, I used to be bad, but I'm pretty good. I read my Bible every day. I tithe. I go to church. I support my pastors. I'm pretty good. But those other people at Orangewood... And it's, it's fascinating how, it's fascinating how we can become prodigals moving over to elder brothers who become quite legalistic in what we do. Paul, Paul kept balanced with a, with a liberty, a liberty view of his life because he remembered what Jesus had done for, for him. I, I, he said, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. What does that mean? That means that Paul saw himself on a self-salvation project, didn't he? I was advancing. I was getting holier and holier and holier as the, the Jews of my day identified it. I was following the traditions, the legalistic rules. I was getting better and better and better. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But then in verse 15, This great contrast, but when he who had set me apart before I was born called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach the gospel of the Gentiles. See, that, that, if you read these words and you enter into what Paul is saying here, you realize he's reliving. He's reliving what Jesus was doing. I was on my way to put Christians in prison, to shut them down. I was, I was on my way to exert my violence in as many ways as I possibly could, and I got stopped dead in my tracks. And I realized that God had set me apart from before the world began. Christian, when did God call you? When did God set you apart? Before the world began. When did he reveal his grace to you? There was a particular point in time and history, just like Paul, in which the gospel was made real to you and you came alive. I have a friend who's in one of our groups and he's, he's an old guy. And it was two years ago that, he, that the lights went on. Oh, he's been in church He's on his third marriage, and, he, and, he, and his third marriage was to find a woman that really followed Jesus, because he knew he really wasn't. But he was in church. He was a deacon in a church, doing all the right things in a church. It was two years ago when he said, oh, it makes sense. He understood what Jesus had done for him, and that there was a role in life for him as a man following Jesus. So just like Paul, you've been set apart for the foundation of the world, but that at a point in time in history, at one point, the Holy Spirit made it real, made it powerful, and you came alive. Oh, I get it. That's a work of the Spirit. I did not immediately consult with anybody. Three years after that, it says Paul went away into Arabia. He went to the Saudis before they were the Saudis. He went into Arabia. You know what is mostly in Arabia? Sand, thank you. I, I was flying to see my son in Atlanta. My wife and I were sitting next to a young Saudi guy. And he said, it only, rains, it only rains twice a year there. And I said, what do you guys do when it rains? He goes, we leave our cell phones inside and go out into the rain and just stand there. I go, how do you exist? Where's the water? He goes, underground. Oh, so you steal it from somebody else. <laughs> Everything's underground there, oil and water. That's great. I didn't say that. I, I, want you, I, I didn't say that. He was a wonderful young man. That's not a criticism. Hey, listen, the reality is, 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 is that what Paul had done was, was he didn't go to anybody. He went out of the wilderness and he listened and he grew. And Jesus developed him. And then he, and then he came back to Jerusalem. And then he started his ministry. And, and a lot of it's the rest, the rest is history. This is a radical change. An angry man becomes a loving man. A violent man becomes a man whose power was under control. You see, men, let me talk real quick to you. Uh, the reality is we're not to be powerless. We're not to be weak and passive. That's not the ideal of a man. The ideal of a man is God's power under control. Passive men don't do anything. Um, the reality is we're supposed to be God's men. And Paul became God's men. And I want to wrap this up by saying this. That Paul had a story. And through that story was a calling. And the same is true for you and me. And what it's important for us to understand is that the gospel, everybody's story is different. If we had time, we'd pass a mic and we'd be here for a week going through however many people hearing the stories. 
how you came to faith in Christ. As a pastor and an elder, what I loved the most was uh, not only preaching the word, but talking to people as they became members. How did you meet Jesus? I love those times. Uh, Because you you get to see how, in, in a multiple way, God works differently every time. You have a powerful story. The the story of the Bible is a story of how people have been radically transformed. From Genesis to Revelation, somebody said, yeah, the Bible is God's love letter to man. It is. It is that. It's also filled with sketch after sketch after sketch, account after account after account of a person who has met the living God and been redeemed and transformed. And how God used their story and the message of the redemption to change other people's lives. And, 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 and that verse, here's the verse I want you to go out with today, verse 24. And they glorify God because of me. They glorify God because of me. God will be glorified because of you as you tell your story. As you understand your story. As you use your story. And so my challenge for Orangeville, the best days are ahead for us. God is going to use this church in an amazing way. Because he's going to use you as individuals. We're all messengers, messengers of the gospel. We're all ministers. And what an opportunity. And so what I want to challenge you to do is to, is to write out your story. If you haven't ever done that, write out your story. Sit in front of your computer, journal, write it out. Think about it. Go back and think about when you came to faith in Christ. And think about the elements about that. Write it out, then try it out. What I mean by that is get into your community group. Maybe your community groups can spend some time telling stories again. And that, that's a great way to reconnect. How did you come to faith in Christ? Really? You did that? Really? Wow. You, wanna, you, you know what binds us together is when we allow grace to energize us toward freedom and honesty and authenticity, and we tell our stories and we go, wow, I did that too. I thought I was the only one. So write out your story, think it out, and then try it out in your community group with safe people who will not broadcast it on Facebook or Instagram or something and say, hey, you know what, uh, you know what so-and-so did? Pray for them. <laughs> and, and then... And then and then let it out, write it out, try it out, let it out. What do I mean? I mean, take the risk of building relationship with somebody in your network that you don't normally talk with much and, and, and get with them, get them with them for lunch or coffee or something like that. And then just, and then listen to them, get them, get them to talk. You've heard it said, it's a cliche, but I love it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so true. And what I find in these days evangelistically that is so important for us to do is to spend time listening with people. How, how are you doing life? How's your family? What's working for you? What have you learned lately? Asking people leading questions. Guys, I often ask guys that don't know Christ, what does it mean to be a man? What do you think? And then I hopefully get them to where I can talk about what I think is a man. But you can only talk if they invite you in. And so I love this. As Paul tells his story, he sets an example for us for how our story can be so powerful. Your story. Your story. Because your story, your story is so unique. 
It's wrapped up with your calling and the call that all of us have to be messengers of the gospel. I love that little boy sitting at the chair in Los Angeles when the earthquake happens. Dishes flying, furniture sliding. (laughs) Mom, what did I do? Man, he experienced an earthquake. But so have you. You met Jesus on your road to Damascus, didn't you? And he won. And you've been remaining with him. How are you different now? Here's what I'd like to know. What would you have been had Jesus not changed your life on your road to Damascus? And how has he changed you? Tell your story and see what he does. Like Paul, you take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for defeating us on our road to Damascus. Thank you for stopping us dead in our tracks. Thank you for the the grace that you've revealed that went back to eternity and, and was made real in history. So Lord, now as we have worshiped you, as we do worship you, as we rejoice in who we are in Christ, as we go out of here today, I I pray that you would help us to find those opportunities, to see those opportunities, to be your church, to tell our story, which is your story. And we ask that they would glorify you because of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.